Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fregel Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. I'm very pleased today to welcome Sue Riddlestone to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. Sue is founder of BioRegional, a UK social enterprise that works with partners to create better, more sustainable places to live, work and do business. BioRegional developed BedZed, EcoVillage, the first of its kind in the UK, and out of this developed the One Planet Living Approach, 10 interconnected and holistic principles to show people how to make sustainable living actionable and desirable. Sue is also instrumental in designing SDG 12, focused on sustainable consumption and production, essential to One Planet Living. So thank you very much, Sue, for joining me today on an inspiring Social Entrepreneurs podcast. That's a pleasure, Fogel. So um, here we are in, uh, I won't say in the middle of the lockdown, but uh, in, in London in, in, during the lockdown, uh, very uh, strange times. Um, and thank you for, for, for making the time available to speak to us today. Um, can you maybe just tell us a little bit about your background and what Bioregional actually is all about? Okay, so um, Bioregional is, we're a social enterprise. We are um, all about how can we live happy, healthy lives within the natural limits of our planet. And I originally started out uh, my career as a nurse, uh, which is coming in handy these days, uh, and uh, was really motivated uh, because of the effect that our consumption was having on the world, uh, our overconsumption of resources and uh, fossil fuels we're guzzling, and wanted to uh, set up a green business where we could produce the things that we need, live our lives in that better way. And that was 25 years ago, actually. In fact, a bit longer than that. So uh, what we do today is um, we build eco-communities, working with others, and we also um, do ourselves working with communities. We uh, work on eco-products, or basically all products should be eco-products. So we did actually, when we started out, we we did some of our own um, products, like locally produced uh, sustainable charcoal uh, and sustainable paper loops uh, so that we could... um, Cut out, show that we could cut our footprint down and run businesses. You know, basically this works in the economy. But these days we work with a lot of uh, large companies, helping them. People like um, Home Improvement Retailer B and Q uh, or uh, Nando's, for example. So, uh, and what we do actually, once we've got these real examples showing that it can work in a business setting and showing that. It's actually really very nice. I live here, I'm speaking here from Bedstead, where we have our office, which is an eco village in South London. And uh, it's lovely here in the lockdown. I mean, the lockdown's awful and so many people are suffering, but there's just such a great community uh, and and we're all supporting each other. So uh, once we've shown how it can be done, then we use uh, these real examples, tell the stories of them to change policy and practice. So we want to you know, influence the industries, uh, that it's a better way to do business. And we want to show the policymakers in the UK, but also at the multilateral United Nations level that, hey, look, we can have a better future. It's something to run towards, not run away from. Don't be, you know, we getting rid of fossil fuels, we'll look back and think, well, what took so long? You know, this this is actually a better life. And I think we're all experiencing that with where there's no cars running about, uh, the reduced air pollution uh, and the fresher, the fresher air and, and how quiet and we can hear the birds singing. These, these yeah. things could be better. Yes, yes, taken a few, a few decades uh, since you set out on this journey. Now, at the heart of what you're about, I guess, and you, you mentioned the term community, um, so I'm interested a little bit in, in uh, what... What 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 you mean by community? And it seems um, a, an idea that's be, that's been around for a while, but it's certainly very timely as well. There seem to be different levels of scale. I guess you know you have a local community and, and uh, maybe you know even a neighbourhood or a few streets, and then you've got your eco villages and you've got up to sustainable cities, transition towns, um, bio regions. So um, 
could you maybe just talk a little bit about that? What what is a bioregional? What is what is what is what is a bioregion? What does bioregional mean? And can you maybe talk about? Um, it's probably quite a big area, but just you know, what, what what where and why one would focus at different levels, scale of community, or do they do they interact together? Yeah, um, yeah, that's an interesting uh, question. So, I mean, starting first of all with what does bioregional mean? When we when we started out, it was very much around this idea of we're importing all this stuff, we're transporting all this stuff all around the world, and um, this is having an increasing impact on increasing carbon emissions. And, it, and it's just not very efficient to necessarily to transport heavy things all around the world. And at the same time, we're wasting things right here in our own backyard. You know, the, the landfill sites or the incinerators are churning away, burning plastic. Maybe we could remanufacture it here. That was where we started out with a sort of closed loop using the resources that we can be more resourceful and create more diverse regional economies. And that's going to be good for communities. And we can still import, but we should let countries far away that have these great raw materials manufacture to a higher level and get more added value rather than just exploiting them, taking their raw materials. And that in this way, we could have stable, secure, diverse economies all around the world. So that's the bi-regional approach, which I think is coming home to roost a bit now we must have just a bit ahead of our time but obviously we were influenced by people like uh, Schumacher um, who wrote Small is Beautiful uh, Economist uh, way back then um, and so community you know what is most important to us as we go through the lockdown together and separately all around the world our families our neighbours our friends are important to us and uh, here at uh, in the communities that we build we we try to sort of make space for it to be neighbourly and in the communities that we're working on building we involve the people that might live there or the people that will have that development in their community in actually saying well, what do we need oh well we like to walk across we need to usually walk across there where we go to take our dog for a walk so you know let's make that an interactive a path through to where people go to the open space to walk their dog and, and link up the community in a very real way with the existing community um, I think uh, here at Bedsheds, where I've been living for 18 years community meet is a way that we can when we're being sustainable becoming more sustainable uh, that can lead to more human interactions and community so if where we go and sit sit in our car uh, and uh, drive around we don't tend to see anybody but if we're walking and cycling uh, and we've reduced reliance on the car we tend to meet each other and one of the things that people say they love about beds ed is the sense of community and the quality of life uh, and I should explain beds ed is an eco village of a hundred homes uh, here in South London, uh, and we've got people from every sort of demographic, from uh, young children, people on benefits, through to professional people on a, quite a good wage, uh, and every sort of size of home from one to four bedrooms. So it's a really good mixed community. And we share things, you know, uh, people will send an email around saying, I've got something I don't want. Uh, for example, uh, my DVD player broke down uh, and I thought oh, I, know, I, I need that and uh, about a few weeks later someone uh, said oh does anyone want a DVD player because uh, so I popped around and got a free one uh, likewise a desk I my son took his desk when he went and I thought oh, I need a desk and two days later one of my neighbours said does anyone want a desk and he came round and more or less assembled it for me as well so in that way we're sort of being neighborly feeling we can rely upon each other not wasting things and it just makes you feel more secure and uh safe in your in your in your environment which is is what we all want i think uh and then if you if you look at it as at a bigger level i mean even working at the united nations if we're trying to achieve policies so i worked on the 
uh, getting the sustainable development goals uh, from 2011 to 2015. And uh, that became a community. So people from all around the world and organisations like ours, we were showing up saying, here's the solutions, it can be done, and here's some things we'd like you to take into account uh, as as we create the sustainable development goals. we were all, uh, we sort of had to let go of our egos and just work together to this shared task of coming up with the sustainable development goals, which are in effect the closest thing we've got to a plan for a better world that's been agreed by every nation and a huge number of organisations like our own that were engaged in that. So I think community is at different levels, um, but I think this uh, coronavirus crisis has shown us the value of community and it works at so many so many different ways but it's it's the way we humans are designed best to succeed I would say. That's very interesting so presumably you've had experience uh, in various different kinds of communities helping them develop or uh, eco villages as you say Um, are there is there a, 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 a template for this it's it's probably pretty uh, idiosyncratic or distinctive depending upon the, the, the people living in the community, what their needs are, uh, where it's located, the economics, the demographics, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. How, how, do you, how do you approach that? Because presumably, as you say, the, 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 the key is in the word community, which means that for the, it's for the people within the community. So it's got to meet their needs rather than some idea of what a community would look like. Yes. Uh, What I should have said uh, earlier on, really, is that our approach um, is very, very important that we go zero carbon and live a sustainable life, all of us. Uh, And so we have a a sort of basic premise in, in the angle that we're coming from in the work that we do, which is we all know um, from the ecological footprint that um, we are consuming more resources and uh, producing more carbon greenhouse gas pollution every year than the planet can absorb or uh, produce. And uh, this means that we're uh, consuming about 50% more every year. And you all have heard of Earth Overshoot Day. It, the date keeps coming back, August, July now, uh, where we've basically used up the Earth's resources for that year. Uh, and also there are finite resources that we're uh, funking through. So um, that means that if everyone lived like we do in the UK or in Europe, the sort of accepted um, aspirational middle-class lifestyle for the average person, you know, a TV, a car, all that stuff, all the things we like, holidays, flying, all of that, we'd need three planets to support us. So we do not have three planets uh, different people are consuming at different rates. In the United States, it's five planets. So uh, what we are aiming for in our work is one planet living where wherever we live in the world, we can live happy, healthy lives within the natural limits of our planet. And very importantly, leave space for nature, for wildlife and wilderness, because it's not just our planet to commandeer. So that's the basic premise with which we approach all of our work. And as I say, we've shown it's possible um, in these different scenarios of products or homes that we live in. And I managed myself to get to 1.1 planet living. (laughs) Uh, How I need to improve is to buy less stuff, I think. But uh, I got there. (laughs) So it is doable. And actually, I do have a very good life. Um, So we have people, after we did the Bed Z Eco Village, people asked us, please, could you help us to do something like your Bed Zed Eco Village? So we came up with this uh, framework of 10 principles, uh, which we called One Planet Living. Uh, and it goes from uh, health and happiness, culture and community. Uh, I should read it out, shouldn't I, because this is a podcast, but I have to do it off the top of my head. Uh, so it goes from uh, sort of resource consumption, zero carbon, zero waste, thinking about travel and transport, food, um, wildlife and nature through to culture and community the economy uh, right through to health and happiness so it's got it all in there and we how we use that with communities is uh, and in our work is uh, to it's the process really 
So you you take those 10 principles and you think, oh, so uh, how are we going to uh, create a, a, a good economy here? How are we going to achieve zero carbon here in this scenario? And as you say, in different places, you'd have a different approach. So uh, then we the process is that we would uh, sort of benchmark what have we got to work with, you know, I'm being too general here. I think I should probably take a real example. <laughs> um, but if you're thinking about a, a community where where you're going to build some homes, say, uh, we would think, well, for zero carbon energy, we'll make the homes very energy efficient. And, and all of this we could do without uh, actually engaging with the community. That's a sort of engineer job in a way. Uh, but, you know, there might be some choices like, shall we spend more money on having solar panels on the roof or shall we spend a bit more money on the reducing down the energy demand? Shall we just buy dedicated renewable energy from the grid or shall we try to generate more here? That's going to cost us a bit more on the homes. Uh, or uh, shall we have ground source heat pumps, air pumps, that sort of thing. Uh, and then you get to, to the more sort of community decisions like, especially around cars um so shall we you end up having that conversation about everyone sort of looking at their shoes as they realize that they're one of the people that drives around causing air pollution and uh, uh <laughs> climate change in their car so we just but, no, but we're, all, we're we're all in this together no one's to blame this is a society that we created together and so it's actually quite fun to think, oh, well, you know, what can we do in this community to make it easy for people not to need to drive a fossil fuel car? So um, in one project, we started to look at, do you know, it's only two or three miles to the station, to the train station where people used to go to work. You could really easily um, improve the cycle route there. So we ended up talking to the local council about how could we improve the cycle route so that it was safe safer and easier for people just to cycle in and it's the country lane and uh, people would have just been sitting in a traffic jam so they'd probably get their quicker cycling anyway and do a bit of their exercise rather than just going to the gym uh, we thought thought made choices like um, let's not tarmac lots of car parking spaces to meet the council's requirements we could have sort of grass going through, growing through um, a surface that then if we didn't need all the car parking spaces, that's a space for the community to use for a sort of get together and to have a bit more nature and green space growing there. But it could be sort of extra parking because the council requires that we have more spaces. So um, those are the sort of conversations that you end up having about our lifestyles and what would be a good lifestyle yes in line with achieving one planet living very interesting and as I say, yeah. once you actually some there are people who get involved in designing the community or who aren't going to live there and other people come later but what we found in our communities is that once people move in they you've you've sort of made it easy for people to live a sustainable lifestyle in a community and people just join in with that, and they love it. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's very interesting. And and to what extent is, I mean, the work you do, sustainability is at the heart of the community. To what extent is there an argument, or would people say, well, listen, you know, you're, this is a very deprived community um, that you're looking at. Um, it's just much more important that people actually get, you know, work, and there's a lot of inequality, and we need education and things like that. You know, sustainability is fine, but really, we're, we're, we have a lot of other things we need to get and look after first. Well, I think sustainability usually saves you some money. So it's definitely saving me money. I don't own a car. Um, and it keeps me healthier. I, I think it, they're not they're not inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, aims they actually reinforce each other. If you if you're if you're on a low income, and you can rely on your neighbours, but you know that that does happen in low income communities. Anyway, I think it's just making it so that you can afford your home is warm and cosy. Uh, you know, you have what you need. Yeah. You just need less stuff. You need less, uh, you know, you're not in this, you're less in a consumer economy and it's the consumer economy that's driving 
this planet to become like a a husk. That's what we're doing. Shopping, and, uh, shopping mall. Um, yes. Yeah. And 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 uh, how do you assess? I mean, you're talking about some of these. Uh, uh, the benefits that people that you you you've seen already are there some measures that you use to talk about to say listen if you can create a a a, a sustainable community these are the kind of scale of uh, impact that you could hope for or that we have seen in the past yeah well um it's it's up to there's a lot of choices we all make every day and that does so there's an element of what you can set up for people. So you can set it up so that they don't need much energy in use in the home uh, and they'll save water. Uh, you can set it up so that people can share um, consumer goods like borrow drills and camping mats and things through having a community internet. But there, there's, there's also choice involved. So some of, you know, if somebody just uh, determined to <clears throat> buy heaters and open the windows, uh, then then that will put their energy up um, anyway. Uh, and if people choose to fly often uh, for several holidays a year, then that is going to push their footprint up. Uh, and we, we also uh, have a choice about our transport. But again, I think it's as a, as a society, so when we measure it, it depends on people's choices. So on average, uh, people here can reduce their footprint. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering, what was the average the last time we measured it? You know, it's it's not massive. It's maybe 20% reduction in the footprint. But on the other hand, we're living in quite a wealthy, of the average of the UK, but we're living in quite a wealthy area in London. I mean, where we actually are is not wealthy, but, you know, London itself and the UK is quite a wealthy country. Yes. People on lower incomes have a 10% lower footprint. Yes. And me personally, where I've made choices not to fly on holiday for personal personal reasons, um, apart from very occasionally, so I've only flown once for a holiday where uh, in since 2005 and um, I chose, I, I was by choice vegetarian and then I went vegan and that was the thing that got me down to planets. And, you know, it's just a different, it's cultural in so many ways. Now I, I just think how strange it is to, it actually chokes me up a bit to think, you know, to pen up animals and then just kill them and eat them or just, you know, take the calf away from its mother and then take the mother's milk. It's just so weird. And one day we'll look back on it and think, God, you know, I mean, when you're at you know, hunter-gatherer societies trying to, su- to survive hundreds, thousands of years ago, it's understandable to eat animals. But right now I just think, surely, you know, we really do not need to eat animals uh, or... Um, and and it's only going vegan for you know how long is it now, year and a half, uh, that uh, I can start to get that perspective on it. So um, yes, you can achieve one planet living. I I'm achieving one planet living. Uh, other people are you know in many societies where they haven't sort of yet gone for the truly massive consumption or very po- poorer people are living a one planet life already. But we could all have good lives with everything we need, good food, warm homes, neighbourliness. We could all have that. Yes. It's, it's, I think it's cultural. You've been uh, working in this area for a, a couple of decades now. How, how um, timely is this idea now? To what extent are you seeing increased interest? And can you talk a little bit about the kinds of, uh, uh, I guess, organisations or kind of uh, projects that you're starting to see uh, arise now? Well, obviously, uh, Greta Thunberg and the school climate strikers and Extinction Rebellion changed the scenery over the last year or more and changed people's attitudes we saw it we've seen it in our own government with people out on the streets you see it when you speak to people in their daily lives certainly in the but i think 
generally in many European countries, in pockets in the US uh, and around the world, in Australia where we work as well, there's a more of an acceptance that actually we're just going to have to change. But I think we're, we're, t- we're definitely taking too long about it. And the fantastic thing was that because of that awareness, we were seeing a huge uptick in people coming, getting in touch with us. And we were growing and recruiting more people to work on it ourselves and finding partners were more ready to to talk about zero carbon. When we first started talking about zero carbon back in 2002, nobody else was really saying it. And uh, it was seen as a bit weird. But nowadays, the government talks about it. The UN talks about it. It's it's accepted. So that is fantastic. But obviously, with um, coronavirus, we obviously very urgently need to address the impact on our society of of that virus. But of course, everybody has stopped focusing on the climate emergency and is now focusing on the pandemic emergency, quite rightly. I just hope that it won't put back our efforts on the climate and ecological emergency by a couple of years it's going to take us to get into a new normal, as it were, in terms of living with the virus. Because the climate and ecological emergency is a much bigger emergency that is just waiting uh, for us to come back to focus on it. So, there, there, yes, there's an exception. And I, I think actually talking to people, everybody still realises, yeah, yeah, we will need to make sure we focus on the climate emergency. But right now, everybody's eyes on other things. Yes. But I think as we rebuild our economies and our society we need to do it in a way that's fully consistent with one planet living with zero carbon and with um a more equal society and actually an actual equal society uh because it, i think it's the system that we've got has been shown not to work as uh, one of my friends uh mattis vakanagel from the global footprint network uh who lead on the footprint work says it's like a giant ponzi scheme if you know what that means yeah and at various different levels not sustainable (laughs) well that's right that's right and uh and some people are saying that this is a wake-up call and uh you do realize that many of the choices that we've made that are we that the governments have made that are part of our society that we're told are written in stone and these are essentially you realize actually can just be swept away like that they can you were told that actually that you know we can change this we can change that things there is a sense of possibility now that we can see that some things that were you know this idea there's no such things a money tree all those kind of ideas that are linked up there as well it brings up i guess a question which is uh, interesting to, to me about the uh, context in which these communities can grow and how important uh, uh, either local regional governments are in terms of setting the uh catalyzing this kind of behavior to what extent i mean presumably at the beginning that there might have been more uh tension with local authorities maybe or something like that how is that changing at least in the uk and the other markets that your countries you're working in yeah well um we we do work with city leaders uh to create one planet cities and uh in uh, australia for example there's a mayor there who's really taking this whole approach to heart and it makes there are you know there are it ends up having those very same debates that I talked to you that I mentioned earlier about parking and uh what do people want but you know that's talking it over that is the way to get through this uh, and come out the other side with something that everybody's bought into and accepted and sometimes you have city leaders and, and local government and even government have to make hard choices because it's actually for the best, but you need to bring people along with you. Uh, local authorities that we work with, they have been they've been hit hard um, in the UK. They've been hit hard by austerity, uh, where, where which is a government policy where um, the state interference has been reduced, uh, as or interference as it would be seen ideologically. Um, so the size of local government has been reduced and that to a certain extent has affected, impacted on their ability to 
to do more than just operate basic services. But uh, so I, th- I think it is important to have national leadership, which encourages uh, and enables communities and local politicians to kind of get on with it. And I think if you have a sort of entrepreneurial, proactive, almost a social entrepreneur, local politicians, it's amazing what they can do. That's what I've seen. So I just encourage anyone in local government to, uh, or anyone who who has that sort of spirit to work in their community uh, to create that better world we want to see, because this is a job for everyone everywhere. And I, I think, yes, there is a big role for local local government and local action. Very interesting, very interesting. One Planet Living, there's a very uh, powerful idea. It's very simple in a way and gets to the heart of the, the problem. Um, and as you say, with these 10 different um, uh, key elements there, how has that idea spread? It's, it's not just within your organisation now, is it? Yeah, it's very much out there uh, as a sort of meme. And since we sort of coined the phrase back in I think it was 2002 or three. And just after we we did bedsets, and um, it was used to write. We used it to write the sustainability strategy for the London 2012 Olympics. It's been used in um, tens of billions of uh, development around the world. So it's, there's a there's a sort of centre parks in Euro Disney area of Paris uh, called Village Nature, which is where you can go and have a one planet holiday. So it's 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 your typical vacation place but you can go there on the 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 train and when you get there the the swimming pool is heated by a geothermal bore so that's renewable energy because paris sits on a geothermal basin and that's also supplying energy for euro disney mm-hmm. uh it's planted up with nature and it's attra- attracted back so many species uh it's all electric you know so it's quiet uh so so you know it, so that's one example there, there's um it's, it's being used around the world for cities uh it's used in university uh curriculum it's, yeah. it's sometimes a number there are numbers which i should have had in front of me while my coms table tell me uh, but it, it, there's a lot of people who you can, anyone can just use it. If anybody wants to use One Planet Living, uh, you can just come to our website, barista.com, and uh, find out how to use it. We just ask that if you use it, um, you know, follow the process. And if you want to call it One Planet Living, there's an open license, so it's open source, uh, but anyone can use it. And we're also training people to use it. So it's out there already and we're trying to just make it easier for more people to use it. And, and people do. And we often come across things that we didn't know had happened, like a housing uh, association. And actually a local housing group decided to use it for their um, council estate in, in South London. Uh, and they said, oh, look, we've made a plan. We wanted to tell you about it. We wanted to invite you along. And they just got on with it and did it themselves. So it's just it's just a... A framework with a bit of guidance for you to populate yourself to make your own plan of action and bring everyone together around. Yes, yes. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that, uh, Sue, we didn't talk about a little bit, but I guess what you might call the governance or the way the community operates and, um, you know, how long it takes to build a community or for a community to start functioning. I guess some communities function better than others. I'm just wondering what's you, you know, your experience been, you know, building these communities and the, I guess the governance side of it. I mean, keep making sure that it's not just, you know, shall we say, you know, the middle class professionals who like to eat organic, you know, for example, that are, you know, maybe dominating it and so forth, that you, it's representative and also that it's, it's got a quality that a sense, you know, within it. And, and, and um, yeah, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, um I mean, there's always the people that feel empowered to put themselves forward, and I don't suppose we'll ever get away from that. <laughs> no, and if you've if you've not had your aspirations raised in that way in your family, in your education, in your peer group, then that's something that you know we can't sort that out. That's a sort of broader societal 
thing. But, um, you know, just making the space, letting everybody. So here at Bedsheds, we've got every demographic, as I say, and the residents. So there's a residents association and they they work hard to have uh, inclusive events so that people can join in. They work hard with the various suppliers and contractors to sort of keep the standards up. Uh, and people can join in if they want to. Uh, and in terms of joining with community events, like we have a community garden here and I've just taken on a, a vegetable trough because I've given up my allotment. Uh, but there's quite a few empty ones, you know. I think people just perhaps, I think as people see other people gardening there, perhaps more people will say, oh, I want one of those and join in. But it, it just takes a bit of time, I think. Uh, with the with the new communities that we're building, we are setting up community land trusts. So the homes are built, the land is owned by the community, and there's a board which includes local electric representatives as well as people who live there, who will manage that land and the houses that are on it to make sure that they're affordable in perpetuity. Uh, and that they're managed for sustainability. So that's a that, that's a new approach we're taking with the governance going forward. But community land trusts are a well-known thing around the world. Um, I think you know just having some sort of elected body, like a residents association, keeps the whole thing alive. And people come and go, and, and new people then sort of take on the baton. Yeah, interesting. And to what extent do your these ideas, uh, or do you work with existing communities that are already, um, you know, uh, existing? <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's where where we're working with the cities. And so uh, in Australia, that's very much uh, in Fremantle. That's very much what's happening there. Um, in Oxfordshire, we started off working on the new build Eco Town, uh, the Bista Eco Town. And then gradually ended up working with the community uh, and the local uh, authority for the whole of Bicester, which is about 10 miles from Oxford. Then we ended up working with the city of Oxford. Then we ended up working with <laughs> the, the different um, districts in Oxford. And I think for all of them, uh, coming up with a vision, so a sort of a vision that's consistent with enabling one planet living with the community and then working with the community to implement it is is how we're going about it and it is working because people feel people in the community feel oh so the council have got behind this it's got legitimacy I'm not just going along to a protest meeting if I go along and join in with this something's actually going to happen and from the council's point of view, they're always thinking, how are we going to persuade people to do to to join in or agree with us that we, we we need to do these things or we want to do these things? So it's a sort of win-win from both sides. And it, it's 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 a long work, it's slow, long-term work, but it's working as we start to see networks of people just feeling enabled and empowered to to sort of run with a new way. Uh, to do things and to re-envisage and recreate our communities and our local economies. It's, it's really working out. We've got a, a green tech economic uh, development network set up. Uh, the most popular thing everybody likes is the electric car shows. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you about, I, I, you know, there's been a lot of attention, I guess, recently around the, what they call the Preston model or the Cleveland model and, the, and these kind of anchor institutions and things. And uh, maybe to what extent is that part of you, the, the way you work? Do you look at uh, corporations or companies getting involved or is there a kind of interface there? Or is that important in terms of, uh, I guess, it's, it's more the economic, I suppose, aspect of it? Yeah, I mean, it always seems to start, it will start with the SMEs, of course, but that's just the way of like, of, of the economy. SMEs are the one, usually the ones that innovate first and then the big corporates sort of pick up on it later. And they, they, they all know that. I've had corporates say that to me. Um, 
But yeah, of course, we want to work with the big companies. Uh, I mean, in these, there will be important local companies in every area, big, bigger companies. And if they don't get on board, then it's not going anywhere, is it? So, but they usually join in a bit later. But yes, they're joining in too. Right, great. And uh, I, 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 more recently, I guess, Kate Raworth's Donut has, uh, uh, she's developed this idea and it, it seems very interesting. Uh, it's been very popular as well. I know now that Amsterdam has developed its own uh, donut and, and it's, it's this idea of linking, I guess, to get the, the, the environmental side of things and the one planet living with also the, the social side and equity and so forth. Um, yes. I, I guess it 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 it, it uh, echoes uh, some of the some of the themes or ideas at, at the heart of one planet living. Definitely, uh, and you know, there's not any one model that you know we we push one planet living. We like donut economics. We really love the ecological footprint. There's no one way, but I think we're all they're all complementary, and arrive at the same goal and I think people just have different entry points uh, that they might take so I think it's fantastic it's fantastic that Amsterdam have taken that on and we need a we need no growth economies I've got a book uh, I've been meaning to read uh, by a Canadian academic uh, on no growth economies he's actually modeled it for Canada uh, I thought we we all need to understand this. We all need to be able to make the arguments. And it's one of those things, you know, when you have a you have a busy life with your family, with your work, and the books pile up unread. But that's one I'm definitely wanting to read, so that I've got that comeback when I'm talking with uh, politicians or um, business about why it's it's going to be okay. I take quite a simplistic. Uh, practical approach I just think well we've everything we do has got to be consistent with one planet living when it comes to running economics and the way we run our economy global economy it does feel like the emperor's new clothes um, and I think a lot of us feel like that child that's pointing and saying about the, the, the global economy the emperor's got no clothes on but we also need to have the answers to what, well, what, what else? That what should we do instead? Then, yeah, that's a very interesting. I guess just finally that you're talking about a community of a hundred houses where you live at the moment. How large? What, 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 uh, um, uh, what examples have you seen of where these ideas have spread? And, and you know, to a, a larger area, to a bioregion, or, or are there any insights into you know uh, connecting together these different communities? They, they become a region or an urban area. I mean, cities probably are clearer, aren't they, with the sustainable cities? It seems to be quite a bit of initiatives around yeah. that. I, I mean, there is such a lot going on all around the world. There are so many amazing networks, like the C40 cities, set up by our London mayor and the New York mayor. Uh, years ago and, and they're all sort of networks where people are learning from each other and different they're implementing different things you know like rapid bus transit network in South America they are they are a leading example for that and then that is an example that others can use I think I don't think there's a complete example of a nation that's done everything um, or a, a region that's done everything, but I'd be very happy to be corrected. I'm not saying that I'm a wise expert on everything. And in fact, that's something I'd like to say to the listeners. We all need to work on this. We, none of us can know all of the answers, but we've all got a, a role to play and we all need to, we shouldn't look at, you know, I mean, it's nice for me. I've been doing this so long and started out early in the movement as it were, so I've had the plaudits and people look to me, oh, what should we say? What should we do soon? Yeah, yeah sure, I, I've reached an age and I've done a lot of things, so I'm quite experienced. But I don't have the answer to everything. And I, don't, and I think sometimes people are very good at pontificating as if they do know the answer to everything, and I don't think any of us do. And so I think we have to all do what we can in the, where we are, and we should do 
the right thing. You know, you only have one life and it's important to, well, as, as I believe anyway, uh, and it's important to make the most of that life. And to, when you, when you die, you know, when you die or as you die, you think you look back and think that was a good life. I'm happy with what I did. So I think we all need to think like that and realize that we've got one precious earth. We're on this spaceship earth together and it's, we are dry, you know, we're literally burning it to a crisp with climate change and desiccating, taking away all of the greenery, all of the nature, all of the diversity and changing it in what they're saying is the Anthropocene. And uh, there's a huge amount of knowledge out there now and we have all the solutions to actually implement this at scale around the world. So everybody needs to do everything they can because we are the generation that has to fix this. Yes, yes. You talk about the, this uh, all doing it together. This community model seems to be, uh, it's, it's very non-hierarchical in a world where we're used to having hierarchy and you know, organizations and, and senior leaders and all that kind of thing and the power that goes with that. Have you been surprised um, over time, or I guess it's been a long time now, so maybe not so surprised, but but uh, inspired by the ways in which people, communities coming together, as you say, from all kinds of demographics working together, can find solutions that maybe w- w- we wouldn't find in a traditional kind of context. Definitely, and at every level, as I said, from that UN level, where it was very well organised to make it non-confrontational and to build a community. So the the diplomats who organised that process, one from Kenya, one from Ireland, they did a fantastic job to enable multilateral dialogue, a community to come up with something good. And in the same way, that's how we can work at a community level where, you know, you just need to be creative and kind and allow space for... uh, people to join in make the space for people to join in and not everybody always wants to join in and that they won't you know it's only ever a smaller number of a small number of people that change things but that's okay and then the rest of everyone else is just happy with that um, I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm really answering your question so no no absolutely absolutely what's next for bioregional Sue? right well we just worked on our strategy of for, so we're all out for 2030, basically. <laughs> uh, we, the, the, the time frame of the Sustainable Development Goals is 2030. And equally, if we haven't really got stuck into achieving, making huge strides into going zero carbon t- towards the Paris Agreement Goals by 2030, then we're in big trouble, you know. So we are all about massive collaboration upping our sort of policy influencing uh, work and at the same time sort of keeping our hand in with these real examples because otherwise people say, oh, well, you did that years ago. Does it still work? So, you know, continuing to work with companies, with building communities, but at the same time, more massive collaboration uh, to with other with other organizations to to really try to scale up what we've been doing what they've been doing and working together so uh, one one thing that we're working on at the moment in the UK is the emergency response team with covid it's actually become uh, I'm not sure if we need to change the name but it's the climate and ecological emergency response team so it's uh, an idea to get together uh, uh, the network of organisations that can help local authorities when they've declared a climate and ecological emergency, which 65% of local authorities in the UK have, and around the world, thousands more every day are declaring. It's a, a, a request of uh, Extinction Rebellion to declare. And uh, and then they declare and then they're like, oh no, what should we do? Uh, because they've got one sustainability officer or something. And uh, they don't have all the answers, but the but in in many ways that there's a sort of generic response. You know, here's the various business models and things you can do. So that's one thing 
we're working on with a number of other organisations, how we can get a local person who can represent, who can turn up like the A-team, uh, you know, bust out the back of the van, come in and say, okay, so you've declared, here's all the different ways these different organisations, here's the different business models, here's what you need to help you. That's one thing. Uh, another thing we're working on is Catalyst 2030, which is uh, social entrepreneurs around the world have got solutions which could be scaled. And uh, so this is a social entrepreneur-led collaboration which where we want to be salespeople for each other and get governments, business, uh, wider society to just make them aware of, hey, there are these different models that c- can work in the economy to uh, create that better world we all want and achieve the Sustainable Development Goals by 2030. And basically sort of dating almost, you know, like introducing governments to social entrepreneurs and uh, trying to bring resources into that as well. Uh, There's a lot of philanthropists out there, but we want them to fund system change, not just little projects. So that's a that's a big, a big idea that we're um, in the sort of coordinating team lead team for. Uh, um, And what else? Well, I guess that's that's enough. <laughs> yes, yeah, sounds like a pretty full plate to me. So, um, oh. I wish you the very best of success with all of the work that you're doing and have done. Uh, thank you for all that work over the decades, which is now priceless. The insights you've developed in communities, and I, uh, thank you so much for your time today. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, and thank you for your inspiring podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.